Thank you uh, for having me here tonight. You know, um, I don't get down, I'm from Manteca, way up the road, and I don't get a chance to get down here very often, but I love coming down here to um, celebrate recovery here uh, at Big Valley, because uh, you guys just have so much fun. Yeah. It's so loose here, it's so cool. You guys actually celebrate your recovery, and that's what it's all about. I love that. and. Uh, Man, I, I'm, where'd she go that just gave the announcements? Oh, yeah, boy, I appreciate you so much because I'm not alone. I'm airhead, don't know what I'm doing, don't know what I'm saying. I am with you. I am with you. Yes, that's the great thing about Celebrate Recovery. You find out you're not the only one. So, um, and the other thing I love is, is when you guys celebrate the newcomer and the, the, the comer back, right? Because uh, if you're a newcomer and if this is your first time here or your second time here, I know you've probably heard this before, but man, you are in the right place at the right time and it's not by accident. And so keep coming back, don't give up. It took so much energy to get here, just capitalize on it. So. Okay, sorry, that's not why I'm here. So I'm here to share my testimony. Uh, I'm very comfortable here. You guys are just so welcome. Anyway, okay. Um, anyway, so I'm a grateful. Ble- uh, my, okay, um, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with uh, codependency, anger, and food addiction. And my name is Jimmy. Hey guys, um, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, so anyway, let's get into it. I was born into uh, quite a dysfunctional family. Big surprise. Uh, at three years old, my parents divorced, leaving us three kids, uh, my, my two siblings and I, to be raised by our mother. My dad remarried and went about living his life without us while we lived our life with our mom, who never remarried. This left a giant hole for my dad's attention and approval that stayed with me for a very long time. Growing up with my mom was tough. She was an emotionally crippled woman whose method of coping with and soothing her own pain was to blame other people for her problems and escape into her addiction to prescription drugs. These drugs were present and affecting her much of the time that I can remember. Little did I know she was also teaching me to blame others, to be negative, to be scared and angry and how to escape reality. Often she would say hurtful things to us kids, such as we ruined her life, Uh, We were the reason her life was so bad, and that if we weren't born, her life would have been so much better. And as a little boy, I believe what my mom said, both verbally and, and with her actions. And my mom's words pushed me further and further down. I lived my very young years feeling guilty, guilty for my mother's life being so hard. Since I was too little to understand and and process all of that guilt, uh, feeling both guilty and responsible for other people's problems became a part of my DNA. Her message to me that others, other, her message to me that other people's pain is my fault, and that if I can't fix their pain, I'm the failure. Um, it weighed heavy on me. I learned to believe that if I want to be noticed and I want to be loved, I must be the one to fix others' pain and problem problems. With my mother, it was all about her and what I was doing to make her feel better. I would say these were the times that the seeds of my codependency were planted. When I was about the age of eight, 
While still living in New Jersey, my mom began a serious relationship with a man she worked with. My mom at the time was a dispatcher for a police department in North New Jersey, and it just so happens that this guy was a lieutenant in the department. From the start, when he came around to the house, he seemed funny and he seemed cool, and he was nice to my older siblings and me. And it seemed, he seemed to make my mom happy. He ended up moving in with us. And for me, it was kind of cool to have a man in the house. We actually did family-type things, like we went camping, we went to the drive-in, stuff like that. And I remember one time we were camping in Virginia, and I made a friend with a kid from a nearby campsite. And when we came back up to my campsite, I remember I introduced this kid to my mom's boyfriend, but I referred to him as my dad. It just came out. I wanted a dad so bad that I couldn't stop myself from seeing this guy as that person. So after living with us for about two years, my mom's boyfriend suddenly quit his job as a lieutenant in the police department. And then he also moved out of our house and he moved across the state line into New York State and he lived with my uncle. And I remember our mom telling us that it had to do, it had something to do with him not paying child support. So we would go visit him a lot at my uncle's house. It wasn't very far away. A few times my mom would drop me off to hang out with him on my own. But during one visit, I could tell he was drunk and I'd never seen him like this. I remember having a sick feeling in my stomach seeing him this way. This is where I began to feel very scared of him and scared around him. After several months of my mom's boyfriend living with my uncle, he and my mom decided that we should move to Stewart, Florida, where my grandparents, my mom's parents, lived, and we should start a new life. In order to help keep his location a secret from the police, I wasn't allowed to say goodbye to my friends and tell them where we were going. Looking back, I see that this was a strong introduction to how to run from my problems. Once we moved into our house in Florida, my mom's boyfriend's drinking escalated. Over time, he continued to drink more and more, becoming more and more volatile. His unpredictable anger led him to, at times, become violent, mainly towards my mom, but also towards us kids. My brother and I shared a bedroom, and many nights we were awoken by the sounds of my mother and her boyfriend fighting, sometimes uh, with him threatening to kill her. And during these scary nights, I also didn't know what was going to happen next. My young mind would, want, would, would wonder, what if he really kills her? And if he kills her, would he then come and kill us? And these were tough things for an 11-year-old to ponder. It was a definition of chaos. So the chaos of those events burned deep into my heart. I couldn't control those situations, but I felt so guilty and helpless that I couldn't rescue my mom. The pressure on me was so much more than I even understood at the time. Marinating in a culture of chaos, fear, and misplaced responsibility led me to begin my coping strategies that involved escape. Life at a young age was heavy, almost unbearable at times. I just wanted to numb the pain. I just wanted to escape all at 11 years old. 
So as an 11 year old sixth grader, I had my first experience with alcohol. My sister and I went next door to her best friend's house where we broke into her dad's liquor cabinet when he was gone. And this was the first time I had ever gotten drunk. This was the age I also had my first of many experiences of smoking pot. My mom and her boyfriend would smoke it in the bedroom, and when they weren't home, my sister and I would steal it and go smoke it. How stupid. Anyway, uh, then one day, uh, much to my surprise, my mom decided to move us out and away from this man. The tension in the air in that house as we packed our stuff was so thick, you could feel it. Unfortunately, my last encounter with her boyfriend was of a violent nature. While I was packing some stuff in the living room, while everyone was spread out throughout the house packing their stuff, in a drunken, drunken rage, he turned on me. Everyone came running in and got me out of there. That was the last interaction I ever had with this guy. And we as a family never processed what happened. There was no family discussion, no counseling, no encouragement, no love, no protection. I was literally on my own to process what happened. The power and rage her boyfriend unloaded on me hurt me down to my core. And all we did was pretend as if it never happened. One strong lesson on how to bury my reality and how to live in denial. By this time, about the age of 12, I was pretty sad. I had already begun drinking and smoking pot, trying to fit in to escape my sadness. Even after we left her boyfriend, uh, life at home was very tough. When my brother graduated from high school, my older brother, he immediately moved back to New Jersey to be with his friends and close to our dad. It was around this time my sister was getting into a really, excuse me, really bad crowd and was never home. So basically, it was mom and me for the next several years. I was the only one left. So she took out her anger and her bitterness at the world on me. The sense of me being responsible for her life was stronger than ever. The role as a responsible one, uh, the fix-it guy not just for her, but for others uh, as well, was growing stronger and stronger all the time. The need to be accepted, loved, and validated led me to the point of being willing to do whatever it takes to fit in. Living at home with my mom also was where my anger began to grow and show out big time. She and I would have screaming fights with each other, that left us without voices. Oh, how I look for ways to escape. I look for ways to escape with girls trying to be popular, drinking, lust, fitting in. All were my coping strategies. So fast forward a couple years to me as a 15-year-old. My best friend, John, who I'd known throughout middle school and high school, and he had witnessed a lot of my um, home life. He began dating a girl named Shannon. Shannon was a Christian. John was not. But seeing how she was also very pretty, John didn't seem to mind the church thing. 
Long story short, Shannon led John to Christ. John surrendered his life to Christ and began going to youth group with her. And he would tell me how cool it was. He kept telling me to get saved. And again, long story short, at the age of 15, I gave my heart to Christ, got involved in the youth group, and I loved it ever since. I finally found a place that felt safe. I felt home in the youth group, made some great friends, had a great youth pastor, and I felt like <clears throat> I felt like I could breathe. I wish I could say it all got better at that point, and that's the end of the story, but the truth is, it's not. I still had to live with my mom, and my mom and I continued to fight horribly. She was so miserable, angry, and she was ready to fight at a moment's notice. I continued to live with the sense of deep responsibility for her situation and a deep yearning to escape, which was getting worse and worse as the years went by. Even as a Christian, I still felt the need to find love and acceptance throughout high school. I pretty much gave up the partying scene but I replaced that with one unhealthy relationship after another. I was still so needy, so insecure, and so hungry for someone to tell me that I'm okay. My youth pastor was instrumental to my spiritual growth in high school. I grew spiritually during high school and in a way that only God would be able to explain. I felt a call to the full-time ministry during my senior year of high school. After graduating from Martin County High School, I enrolled at Palm Beach Atlantic College, and in my second year of college, I finally got um, Tanya to date me. We are now on year 33 of marriage. That just means she's weirder than I am. But even from the beginning of our marriage and for several years following, we had big problems. I did some pretty hurtful things and I said many more. I transferred my unresolved angst and anger at my mom onto Tanya. I had hoped getting married would be the cure-all for all of my issues, but it wasn't. I actually felt this continuing need to be responsible now for her stuff and her life, just like I used to feel with my mom. Tanya's happiness meant I was good. Her unhappiness meant I was bad. And I was just a confused mess. A few years into our marriage, I began working on my master's degree, of all things, and this is a true story, marriage and family therapy in Mississippi. Oh, thank you very much. I must have had some deep subconscious drive to make a career out of my codependency. Because while in grad school and at my wife's urging, um, I decided, actually I agreed with my wife, I gave in to go see a counselor. And I was not super excited to go talk about my struggles, but I went. On my very first visit, as I was explaining why I was there, this therapist stopped me in mid-sentence. And literally, as, as this is exactly how it happened, we're, I'm telling you why I'm there, five minutes into it, he puts his hand up like a, like a traffic officer and just makes me stop. And I'm like, 
The meter's running, dude. I'm trying to get it all out, right? Because you got 50 minutes. He stopped me and he said, um, he told me, he said, I've counseled literally probably thousands of clients. And he said, you are the most guarded person I've ever met. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to compute that. But my denial kicked in and I never went back. The therapist's goal was to help me get in touch with my anger towards my mom. He kept saying I was sad and he tried so hard, but to no avail. I'm a grad student studying marriage and family therapy. I'm a pastor. I know what I'm doing. I would tell myself I can handle it. I don't need any help. It was like my issues were trying to rise to the surface to be dealt with, but I was trying to bury them back down in their hole. Kids came along shortly thereafter. Um, we have five children. Um, and they say, there's a saying that says, pressure is what you feel when you're not prepared. And pressure is all I felt with being a dad at first. My feelings of inadequacy fueled my fear of being a dad, which in turn fueled my anger and rage. So my kids felt the weight of my anger way too often as well. While finishing up grad school in 1996, it seemed at this point in life, I found a way to keep going forward, living in this weird tension and this weird balance of having dealt with some of my stuff but also living in a certain amount of denial and unresolved issues that I kept buried. I served in several churches between the years of 1996 and 2005. Uh, throughout those years, my role was always a worship and counseling pastor. But 2005 proved to be the pivotal year of my life. In October of 2005, I was invited to join the staff as one of the pastors at a very large church in Savannah, Georgia. I was brought on board to help them design, launch, and direct their own in-house Christian counseling center. We opened the doors to Life Change Christian Counseling in March of 2006. During that same year, I came across a small group of people meeting in the church, about eight or nine people, mixed gender, that met well, uh, weekly for recovery. And I knew the guys, and it was Ben who was leading it. And they were using Celebrate, uh, Celebrate Recovery materials that one of them bought at a garage sale, along with some other materials. I didn't know you could resell these materials. I should have known that long ago. I'd be rich. Um, sorry. Uh, I had heard about Celebrate Recovery several years previous, and at that moment, I felt compelled to ask church leadership if Ben and I could go to a Celebrate Recovery one-day conference that was happening near Atlanta to learn more about how to make this thing really fly. So Ben and I came, we went, we went to the conference, came back pumped, and we were able to uh, report to the leadership that uh, we should go all in. And in September of 2006, we launched Celebrate Recovery. Now, my thinking about it was I would run this ministry, there's supposed to be air quotes, run this ministry for those people who need this stuff. <laughs> God had other plans for me. 
<laughs> at about the six-month mark, such a true story, at about the six-month mark, Celebrate Recovery was going really strong. We had a lot of people coming, the band was great, everything. But yet something was stirring in me from deep down inside. I couldn't help but notice that people's lives were, were changing all around me. Secrets that they had held for so long were coming out, and they were finding freedom and hope. And I noticed that I didn't have that same peace. Eventually, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to join a step study. But how, I thought, how does a ministry leader join his first step study in front of everybody? How could I admit that I didn't know what I was doing that I had struggles inside, that I didn't have it all together like I pretended, that I might not be everything to everyone. What if people didn't like me after they saw who I, I truly was? I knew I would surely receive my greatest fear, rejection. I believe through the grace of God, I had a moment of clarity and could for the very first time ever finally say that my desire to be free outweighed my fear of rejection. So I decided to join a step study to get a sponsor and to do it right. I knew there was something to this and that I badly needed it. And what I feared the most never materialized. No rejection, as a matter of fact, the other guys in my step study thought it was the coolest thing ever that the ministry leader was going through his first step study. Suddenly I was surrounded by 11 coaches. I almost felt like their mascot, right? The facilitator of the step study, his name was Todd, became my sponsor. And he was my sponsor for the next 13 years. Going through that CR step study was great until the inventory. Huh. Remember, I was the most guarded person that that therapist had ever met. But I had to keep going. Everything in me wanted to find a way around being totally honest with my sponsor. My fear of being exposed as a failure, of being rejected, embarrassed, abandoned, the fear of being honest was powerful. But I decided to go for it anyway. I wrote my inventory, scheduled a time with Todd uh, for Todd and I to meet, and we met. I read my inventory to Todd out loud, and when it was over, much to my surprise, he didn't fall over dead. He didn't say, how could you call yourself a Christian, a pastor, a counselor, a worship leader, a celebrate recovery leader? Instead, he showed love. He gently gave me some perspective on who I was, where I'd been, and now where I'm going. He then looked at me and he said, follow me. We were meeting at a public park outside and it was real cold, <clears throat> I remember, and I followed him over to a nearby garbage can. He prayed over me and when he finished, which is probably against the law what he did, he lit my inventory on fire. <laughs> and as it burned over that garbage can, I felt freedom come over me like I'd never felt before. The diminishing power of the secrets that had held me for so long, along with the visual of my old story going up in flames, was overwhelmingly awesome.
I can say that going through step study allowed me to realize several things that were critical to the transformation of my life. My battles are not against my mom, my dad, her alcoholic boyfriend, or anyone else. It's not against outward behaviors called addictions to codependency, anger, or lust. My battles are against the defects of character, those learned behaviors that resided deep inside me. I also learned that although I was able to achieve sobriety and kind of abstain from certain behaviors for a while, and those behaviors may have laid dormant for several years, that didn't mean I had recovery. It didn't mean that God had changed me on the inside. I learned the, I learned the idea that sobriety and recovery can be two very different things. I had stopped or curtailed some of my outward behaviors and acting out, but I hadn't yet let God down deep inside to do the underground excavation needed for me to truly experience freedom. Going through a step study has let God in. I let God in to set me free from what had held me down for so long. Another thing I learned from that step study is that it's okay to be a work in process. And the fourth thing that I learned that I took away from my very first step study and it's stuck with me ever since is I am one of those people and I'm proud of it. After, after uh, five years, we ended up moving on from the church in Savannah in 2010 I then joined the staff at a smaller church in Woodland Park, Colorado, where my role was to lead worship and to launch Celebrate Recovery, which I did. This proved to be a pivotal season of growth for me. God had us stay in Colorado for four awesome years. In 2014, God moved us back to Stewart, Florida, where I served as pastor of worship and community care at a church in my hometown which was the very church I ever went to. We launched Celebrate Recovery there in February of 2014, and to this day, I know it's still going. But our time at that church came to an abrupt and hurtful end in August of 2016. It was a difficult ending, not just for me, but for my entire family. And after our departure, we found that we as a family needed to some time to catch our breath, to heal, and to hear from God as to what he has in store for us next, and to trust his timing in all things. I spent more time than ever with my sponsor. I spent the next two and a half years uh, spending much time with my sponsor, but I also stepped away from pastoring and I worked some different jobs. I actually bought a small business where I was a nuisance wildlife animal trapper, which was so cool. No, I didn't catch alligators in Florida. That's, my, that's the number one question. But if you had raccoons in your attic, you would call me. But anyway, that's another story. But during that time, I was learning about who I really am and whose I really am and how to hold things loosely, how to trust God and I learned who really has control in my life. 
Through those couple of years, I discovered that my identity is not in my credentials, it's not in my titles, nor is it in my position. By going back through the steps with my sponsor through this season of time, I was reminded that I've been forgiven for so much. Therefore, I can and I have extended forgiveness for those church leaders who hurt me and my family. I was also able to recognize my part in this chapter of my story as well. I continue to learn how to live in such a way where I'm not trying to control all circumstances all around me or other people's choices. I'm also seeing more clearly that God is safe for me to trust even when people are not. So therefore, I do not have to live in fear. To the newcomer tonight, who knows exactly why you're here, getting to celebrate recovery is the first big hurdle you have overcome. Don't waste the effort. You're here, so keep coming back. To the newcomer who doesn't know why you're here, keep coming back. You'll see why in time. Trust that you're not here by accident. You're in the right place. God has healed so much of my brokenness thus far, but there's more to go because I will never arrive. But I believe he desires for me to be free and to live life reasonably happy for now so I can be supremely happy with him forever. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah 57 verses 18 and 19. And it says this. God says, I've seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I'm so sorry. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. So may they have peace both near and far, for I will heal them, says the Lord. Thank you for letting me share. That was awesome. I love hearing his story. Um, he's definitely way more articulate than I am. Um, well done. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, if you don't know, he does uh, Subbert Recovery in Manteca. That's Wednesday night. So if you're going, man, where do I go tomorrow night? Manteca. Hit there and uh, Crossroads and uh, get there early for dinner and hang out. So, um, hey, we're at the end of our time. Um, so stand with me. Let me share the focus question. Huh. Was that the focus question I gave? That's last week. It's very similar to this. And it is this. What character defect are you dealing with now? And how do you plan to surrender that over to God? So very, 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 very similar. It is in your bulletin. Um... I obviously didn't change that. And that's what happens when my administrative assistant is in uh, on vacation. 
And so that's, that's, those are fun things. But hey, let's say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen.